0: Morning, morning. Why don't you say hello to the person next to you if you haven't already? If you have, maybe try, how are you? Nice to see you. As a church, we have uh, a a mission statement, and as part of that mission statement, we have three E's, three E's, and they're statements that start with the letter E, believe it or not. Um, Who can tell me any of those? Oh, pressure's on. Go on, Lou, you got one. Embrace God's presence, yeah? Encounter God's power enjoy. and enjoy God's love. Indeed. And these are things we as a church see such, um, firstly, emphasis in scripture, but also such a direction from God for us as a church. Actually, these are things we need to prioritize to really embrace his presence, not just kind of look at it from a distance, but embrace it to, to enjoy his love, It's one thing to know God's love to you. It's another thing to enjoy his love, right? And encounter his power. Really meet him. Really encounter him. And and it's so important. It's actually something I want to speak about as part of today. But I'm going to start by going to Acts 2, uh, verse 1 to 13. So we'll get that up on the screens. So... and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Which is basically like saying, they're not very smart. I'm just gonna put it out there. Verse eight, and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. I don't know how to say it. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Amen, for new wine so this is actually really exciting I've spent the last four months writing a paper on the baptism in the spirit and so it's quite exciting to get to share on Pentecost Uh, I hope you're strapped in I've got 5,000 words to get through Um, no seriously it it bored me by the end of it so you don't have to worry about it so we've been bouncing between this series on uh, prayer and worship and and growing our understanding of worship as as so much more than some songs we sing in church but a but a lifestyle a living sacrifice that we ourselves are before god it's it's a life laid down and a heart overflowing in love for him and it causes our bodies to respond in praise and prayer no longer something to be achieved but a lifestyle of communion with God. In every moment, as much as in the secret place, we we can gather together with with friends and just commune with him, enjoy relationship with him. And our passage in Acts 2 sees the disciples there, these worshippers who have literally laid down their entire lives, you know, given up their careers, their families, everything to follow Jesus. And they're all waiting together on God when all of a sudden there's this beautiful collision between heaven and earth. It's like a a light bulb moment where everything they were taught and commanded all the way through Jesus' ministry suddenly shifts into gear. It suddenly makes sense. They suddenly have a whole new perspective when everything Jesus has said as the power comes. Worship, prayer, mission suddenly take on a whole new paradigm as the presence of God falls. But I wanted to do a little backup today and just explain what's happening here. Um, who, who's got our Bible 365 readings? Got a little booklet. If not, there's some outside. But these are readings we follow daily, and they kind of set us up through the week. So I want to get started in, in Mark 1. David's going to put it on the screen for me. But we're going to do a whistle-top store of whistle-stop tour <laughs> of uh, Pentecost. We'll I will do the whistle-top store then. Um, so this is in Mark 1. So it's talking about John the Baptist coming. He, he, was, he appeared and he was baptizing people in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. And everyone was going to be baptized. And it says, in verse seven, it says, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who knows who he's talking about? Go and shout it out. We always get this one right in church. Jesus. If in doubt, ladies and gentlemen, the answer is Jesus. So see, the practice of of prayer and worship stretch back to Eden and beyond. You know, there's nothing new about prayer or worship in the Bible. The whole of the Old Testament predicts a heavenly father who's seeking to restore relationship with his children. And he does that by teaching them prayer and worship. And through the law and the prophets, God gives them instructions on how to do this. He gives them formulas to follow, sacrifices to, to make. But, but the thing is, no matter how hard they try, no matter how much they pray or, or how committed their worship is, invariably they always fall short. They never quite hit the mark. And so for John to call the Israelites to a baptism of repentance, uh, whilst that's convicting, it's by no means new. That's something that happened throughout Israel's history. Time and time again, they were called to repentance. And and with it comes an air of predictability of how long until Israel messes up again. I remember when I was younger, I would always like read the Old Testament stories and I'd be like, Lord, this is amazing. And then I'd read the next page, and it's like, Israel returned to worshiping other gods, and blah, 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 blah. And I remember I'd always be like, how on earth could they do that? How on earth could they turn their backs on God so quickly? And then I grew up, and I started looking at myself and thinking, how on earth do I do that? How on earth do I turn my back on God so quickly? And and suddenly start worrying about the thing that he's already shown up so many times. Anyone else? Is it just me? Yeah? How do we do that? How do we keep forgetting See, I can, I can have the law, okay? I can have his word, I know what is right. I know how to pray, I know how to hear from God. But it's so easy to be distracted by something else and end up focusing on that instead of God, right? Yeah? Okay, good. I'm glad we are with me. And this even goes to good things. Sometimes we're distracted by really good things. I want to ask you a question. Would, would there have been a Pentecost if the disciples had given up waiting in Jerusalem and instead just cracked on with the Great Commission? Would Pentecost even have happened? Yes, I'm probably would have, yeah. But a different way, I'm sure. But this is the thing. Well, what if they just heard Jesus' command to go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and instead of waiting like he told them to, they just decided, oh, we'll just get going with it. Sometimes the very good things that we're called to do by God can distract us from his purposes if we're not prepared to wait and listen to him. You know, if if their only fuel in the Great Commission was a passion for humanity and for for the gospel, then mankind will fall short. It needs the power of God. John promises something greater, someone greater than just a baptism of repentance. After me, comes one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John's promise is Jesus, who himself becomes the final sacrifice, once and for all, paying the price for humanity's sin, past, present, and future. And in doing so, he makes it possible for us to enjoy a relationship with the Father, something which Israel could never attain in their own strength. Jesus himself opens the door. Let's read John 16. So on Tuesday, we read these verses. Jesus himself has a promise. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And I'm going to skip forward a little bit to verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus promises the helper, and this is another title for Holy Spirit. And Jesus says it's better that Jesus goes, he goes away, so that the Holy Spirit can come. And that same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in each and every one of us who is born again, believing in Jesus. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, hey, have you got a Holy Spirit in you? It's a big question. If you believe in Jesus, if you're born again, then the same power that resurrected Christ from the grave lives in you. Now that's a lot of power. Now, there's something really important to note here. Jesus doesn't say that it's better that he goes away and the Holy Spirit comes because the Holy Spirit is greater than him. And it's really important to notice that because as people, we quite like to have hierarchies. We quite like to have lesser than and greater than, and God just doesn't work like that. Jesus said it's better that he comes because the role of the Holy Spirit is to dwell within us, to sanctify us, to, to point us towards God. So it's it's not that Holy Spirit is Jesus level two. They're one, they're they're linked, they they have a a bond of love between them. And I think sometimes we can we can get to places in Christianity where we're like, oh you know, are you still talking about Jesus? We're talking about the Holy Spirit now, are you still praying here, we're praying here, And, and we can end up with these silly little divisions. God is a God of unity, not division. The Godhead is not a competition and neither should the church be. And if our relationship with Holy Spirit, which we should seek after, if it does not remind us of God's word, if it does not glorify Christ, his his death and his resurrection, if it doesn't lead us into daily surrender where Jesus is Lord of our lives, then it's not the spirit that Jesus sent. Because he says clearly, he will come and he will glorify me. He will teach you everything that I have said. The role of the Holy Spirit is to make us fall more in love with Jesus. He's designed to cause us to fall more in love with Jesus. And the more we honor his presence, the more it should draw us to love Christ. And I really want to encourage us with that this morning. The Holy Spirit points us towards Jesus. Jesus points us towards the Father. The Father sends the Spirit. All these are interlinked. Let's read on to John 20. John 20 tells us of an appearance of Christ uh, following the resurrection. And this really sets us up for Pentecost. It says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, to f- were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I always, you know, Jesus always does some really like crazy stuff and he says, oh, peace be with you guys. Why are you so worried? And they're like, well, you just walked through a wall. So it's a little <laughs> bit off <awesome. laughs> When he said this, he showed him his hands and his side and the disciples were glad when they would seen the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, this verse is important. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So what did they receive at that point? Yes. And this is really important because as we approach Pentecost, we have to realize that the disciples had already received the Holy Spirit. The disciples of Pentecost, by Jesus' definition in John 3, they are already born again and operating in the kingdom of God. But secondly, the disciples of Pentecost had already been commissioned. He says this, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. They'd already been commissioned, and Matthew 28 says it perfectly. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And this is really important. I want us to get this before we look at Acts, because we have to realize the disciples in the upper room were already commissioned and filled with the Spirit. In Acts 1, verse 4, it says, And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And, and the thing is, I can really imagine the disciples' eagerness to get going. Okay, They've seen the risen Christ. They've been commissioned. They've received the Holy Spirit. And, and whenever I think of Peter, the Apostle Peter, I always think he's a guy who can't sit still for a minute. Does anyone know people like that? They, you know, bless them. I think the Lord's made them for specific tasks and roles. But Peter, I just can't imagine him willingly sitting in Jerusalem waiting. But Jesus said, you've got to wait. You know, I can imagine Peter saying, you know, you've, you've taught us to pray. We've given up our lives to you. You know, we've started recording the words that you've said. We know the good news. We know the gospel. We know the kingdom. Let's do it. But Jesus says, actually, just wait. This is important for us to understand that, you know, we, like those disciples, were forgiven. We were born again. We were commissioned. We know how to pray. We, we know what it is to lay down our lives in worship. We know his words. We know the gospel. We have seen his kingdom at work. And it's so easy from this point where we're at to jump on headfirst into a million things. And a million good things. But the promise of God is released through our obedience to his voice, not to the religion we've learned. Does that make sense? Not just the things we've learned, but real obedience to his voice. I've got a lamp today I wanted to show you. Don't get too excited. It is a lamp. Say, I love lamp. Anyone get that? It's a lamp. It has a bulb. It has a a filament. It has a metal bit. A plug. And if I plug it in... Oh, it's totally going to work. If I plug it in, it does nothing. It's just a lamp. It's just good stuff, good stuff that you need to make a lamp. They're all good stuff that all fit together, but in and of themselves, they're just a lamp. Yeah. If our faith, if our religion, if everything we have learnt to do just operates in and of itself with no power, then it's fairly ordinary. Jesus says, you're, you know, you're a city on a hill, like a, a light shining in the darkness. Phil and t- Heather were talking about that earlier. But actually, if there is no power, then it's just a lamp, and a fairly ordinary-looking lamp. Everyone agree? Yeah? It just is what it is. For our prayers and our worship and our faith to be any more effective than the cycles of faith and then turning their back that we see in the Israelites throughout the Old Testament, then we have to be filled with the power of God. And, and if I'm really honest, guys, I'm really sick of, of religion without the power of God. I'm really, really sick of it, and, I, and I'm sick of it in my own life. I'm sick of it in the places where I, I just, like, pray the, like the customary thing or do the thing that I think I should be doing without actually stopping to hear God, actually stopping to say, God, what are you wanting me to do? Where's your power flowing? I'm really sick of it, and, and I'm sick of it in myself. The world is full of really good Christians who do lots of really good Christian things, and, and I'm not going to tear them down. I want to bless them and honor them. But actually, if, if, if we want people to experience the transforming power of God, then we ourselves must experience it first. We've got to walk in it because otherwise they're never going to experience it. There's loads of charities that do lots of good things. We talked about this a couple of months ago. And they are good things. But if you want to see the power of God at work, we have to allow ourselves to be plugged into God. Not just the day job. Not just the, the rat race. We've got to welcome that. John, uh, Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. You will receive power and unless the power flows from the source, then there is no light. Then there is nothing exceptional about us unless we are plugged into the source we need his power why don't you just take a second just close your eyes reach up to heaven and say god would you plug me into your power this morning holy spirit would you fill us this morning not just a natural lamp to be supernatural lights for you and your kingdom come holy spirit let me tell you a story there's a guy called Jonathan Edwards, you might have heard of him. He, he is credited with really kicking off the Great Awakening in the States. It was, a, it was a, an awakening where about 50,000 people were saved in the new colonies uh, in America. And in 1741, he, he preached a preach called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, and he's, he's quite, he was quite known for kind of reading straight from the script. He'd, he'd read, 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 read. Wouldn't really look up much. Read, 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 read. That was his preaching style, okay? And, and he'd preached this, this preach Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God at one church and it was, everyone kind of said, thank you very much and walked out the door and got on with their day. And then a couple of uh, weeks later, he preached the exact same sermon in a church. And I've read the sermon and, it, and it's, Like, it's really not that special a sermon. It's just a sermon about God and and hell and and eternal punishment. And yet, as he read this sermon for the second time in the exact same manner, the power of God fell in that place. The, The conviction of the Holy Spirit was so real that people felt themselves slipping into hell. Because the conviction of God was so strong, there, there were fingernails in the pew, fingernail marks in the pew, because people suddenly felt the weight, the weight of God's holiness. It was so incredible. And this same preach that two weeks earlier meant nothing, suddenly meant everything. He did nothing different. It was just the power of God falling in that room. It's the difference between a lamp and a light power of God. And this, what I'm sharing with you today is is nothing special, it's ordinary. And to be honest, it'll be out of your minds by tomorrow morning, unless God moves. Unless God moves, everything is in vain. Everything we try, everything we work at, even like our, our most kind of fervent prayers, they need the power of God to fall upon them. And this is as much about me being faithful to to ask God and to hear what I hear him saying, to bring what I hear him saying today as it is for each one of you sitting there to come with an open heart to receive from God. Remember our statement, encountering God's power. To come to church, not just on Pentecost Sunday, because for Christians, Pentecost Sunday is every Sunday. It's every day. It's an opportunity to meet with God, be filled with his power for what he's called us to. But actually... The challenge is, do we come to church every Sunday, expectant and hungry to meet with God? This is the beautiful collision of today, where the presence and the power of God meets our human efforts, where it rests on every word of our prayers, where his fire consumes every sacrifice of our hearts causing us to burn for him. And this is why as a church, we prioritize embracing his presence and prioritize encountering his power and we prioritize enjoying his love. It's about his agenda. It's about his timing and his plan because our prayer and our worship is designed to be the landing platform for the power of God to work in us and through us, transforming this world around us. Can we stand together? I want to pray together. I'm going to pray with expectation this morning. Why don't you do it? Just close your eyes. I want you to do whatever you want with your hands, but just make yourself open to him. Holy Spirit, I, I felt like a, that resonating in my heart this morning, even in this room, that conviction that we don't want ordinary life. We don't want ordinary religion. God, we're fed up of it because it's boring and it doesn't work. We want your power, God. We need your power, God. We need your healings in this place. We need your breakthrough for people. God, we need you to move afresh on us. So God, we ask this morning, not just because it's this morning, but God, that it would be a start of every morning that we would be plugged into your power, God. That your power would flow through our veins, through this church, that we coming together would be a mighty conduit for the power of God in this island. God that your power would would enable us to to do everything you've called us to do that our, that our prayers that our worship that our, our teaching that our discipleship everything would be emboldened to a supernatural level through your power God and so I pray I, I want to this is your chance to pray guys just just commit yourselves to God say God would your power work through me afresh good would your God, would your power work uh, through me to a greater and greater measure? Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We welcome you not just for this place, not just for here and now, but God, as we walk out of here today, as we wake up in the morning, as we go to work, God, that your power would rest on us afresh. Come, Holy Spirit. I see. For some people, he's he's like he's he's repainting you. I feel like there's there's a weariness, a, a tiredness, an oldness to to some part of you, and God's saying, "I'm coming in." It's like a fresh lick of paint. I'm 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 re-galvanizing you, I'm recovering you and coating you and that's what oil does, it coats us like it anoints and coats and I just pray right now Holy Spirit for for anyone in any area of life or ministry where they feel tired where they feel, um, just they've got weary, I pray right now Holy Spirit that you would be that fresh oil, that fresh coat of of paint covering them I pray Lord for fresh power for us this morning for everything you've called us to God Come Holy Spirit.